Hello and welcome to Host Stories. I'm your host, Josh S. My co-hosts, Carly G and Sky S, will not be with us tonight. Um, they both got some some prior things going on. They will be back with us next episode. But <clears throat> so we're gonna do things a little differently uh, this episode. We're uh, I'm gonna go ahead and post a two-parter. They will both be uploaded tonight. So let's dive in. A dozen deep fried shrimp, a bucket of original recipe chicken from KFC, a pound of fresh strawberries, and french fries were this man's final meal. Kiss my ass were his final words. You guessed it. We're going to be talking about John Wayne Gacy tonight. So John Wayne Gacy was born on March 17th, 1942 in Chicago, Illinois, according to the book Killer Clown by Terry Sullivan and Peter Macon, Gacy seemed to have a regular childhood, with the exception of his of his turbulent relationship with his father, John Wayne Gacy Sr. The authors describe the father as an unpleasant, abusive, alcoholic, prone to physical and verbal abuse towards his children. They describe Gacy as a deeply as deeply loving his father and wanting to desperately try to gain his approval and attention at all costs, but failing to win him over. <clears throat> Gacy Sr. actually died on Christmas Day, 1965, but more on that later. After attending four high schools during his senior year and never graduating, Gacy dropped out of school and left Chicago for Las Vegas. While there, he worked part-time as a janitor for the Palm Mortuary. Unhappy in Vegas, he returned to Chicago just a few months later. So during the early 1960s, Gacy enrolled in a business college and developed a talent for salesmanship. A born salesman, he could talk his way in and out of practically any situation which will come in handy for him later um, he went to work as a management trainee at Nunbush Shoe Company in downtown Chicago he excelled in his position and within weeks was transferred to the Springfield, Illinois to manage a men's clothing outlet for the company where he remained employed for nearly a year Shortly after his promotion, Gacy married into a wealthy family and relocated with his new bride to Waterloo, Iowa. In 1966, at the request of his father-in-law, Gacy took over management of the family's chicken restaurant, uh, which was KFC, obviously. Um, Gacy quickly became a well-known and liked member of the community, according to the later accounts in the Waterloo Courier. Um, so, <clears throat> Gacy's father-in-law actually owned a, a couple franchisees of KFC, uh, where he had Gacy go ahead and take over management of one of them, um, after Gacy got married to his daughter. <sighs> so, just kind of a fun fact about KFC, and of course, then KFC later on was uh, a part of his his final meal, which I which I I've, I've always thought was kind of 
interesting that you know you can manage a, a, a fast food restaurant and then later on in life you know do what you do end up on death row and you know you request it as your final meal pretty odd <coughs> but kind of fascinating I guess however so all was not lost with Gacy the future serial killer would be arrested for the first time in 1968, the felony charge attempting to coerce a male employee into homosexual acts came as a big surprise to those who thought they knew this likable father of two infants, especially his wife of two years. So, so Gacy went ahead and pled guilty to sodomy and was sentenced to 10 years in Iowa State Men's Reformatory in Anamosa. His wife filed for divorce following the sentencing. Angered, Gacy informed her he did not want to see his children again and would henceforth consider her and the two kids dead. So he honestly would never see his his. Uh, divorcee and his two kids uh, from that moment on. He would never see him again. So after serving 18 months, Gacy was paroled in 1971 and moved back to Chicago. He went to work as a construction contractor and then started his own construction business. That July, he remarried a recently divorced woman he had met through mutual friends and with Financial assistance from his mother moved into a house in Des Plaines with uh, again ran into trouble with the law. He was charged with the attempted rape of a young man. The charges were dropped when the victim failed to appear in court for the hearing. Uh, Gacy had a talent for business. According to the Des Plaines Journal, he was known by local merchants as a sharp businessman. Who would often undercut his business rivals' contracts by hiring on a number of high school age employees to cut his costs? His business actually grew. Um, by all accounts, Gacy was very good at what he did. Um, when questioned, he continually would state that he used the younger men because they were moldable. He can train them how he wanted them, and he didn't have to pay them very much. So his overhead was very low, uh, so then he can continue to undercut his business rivals, get more jobs, uh, make more money, th- things of that nature. So, so those are the things that he used when, when somebody would question, why, do you, you know, why don't you use adults? Well, why don't you use older men? Those are the answers that he would give. So... Gacy spent part of his leisure time hosting elaborate street parties for friends and neighbors, dressing as a clown, and entertaining children at local hospitals. He also immersed himself in organizations such as the JCs and the local Democratic Party. As a Democratic captain, he once had his picture taken with First Lady Rosalind Carter. Now, now that I find very interesting. So that kind of speaks to the fact that a lot of these serial killers can hide that that double life where they can seem so normal 
to everyone else. Uh, neighbors, family, friends. Uh, Gacy, like I, like I just said, you know, seemed normal enough that he was, you know, given clearance to be around the first lady. You know, you, you don't... You don't want to look at things like that. Like, you look at serial killers, and, and I believe I went over that in, in the first episode, actually. You would hope that if somebody's seen that something was off with this person, or you thought that, you know, this person was capable of things, that they wouldn't be able to get away with as much, there wouldn't be a higher body count, you know, things of that nature. So, so obviously, a lot of these people, and I, and I say people because, you know, there have been women serial killers, and, and we will cover a few down the road, um, but they're able to seem that normal... And, and just like, you know, everyone else, they're, a lot of them are very successful. Um, like Gacy, he, he was a very successful businessman. Um, he was a part of the JCs. He ends up um, being a higher member of the JCs. And late, later on in the episode, I'll kind of explain to everyone what the JCs are. Um, but, but it has a lot to do with politics, obviously. Uh, things of that nature. So, uh, Gacy's second wife divorced him in March of 1976, according to accounts in Harlan Mendenhall's book, Fall of the House of Gacy. Uh, Gacy's second wife felt she could no longer cope with the marriage due to her husband's unpredictable moods and bizarre obsession with homosexual magazines um, and a lot of things of that nature, obviously. Uh, the couple did not have children. Uh, although I do believe his second wife did have two daughters. Um, so on December 12th, 1978, the police again focused their attention on, on John Wayne Gacy. Uh, Robert Peist a teenage stock boy at a local Des Plaines pharmacy had come up missing. Gacy was the last person seen with the boy prior to his disappearance. When investigators ran a background check on Gacy, they were surprised to discover that he had a previously has he had previously served time for committing sodomy on a teenage boy. With this incriminating information, investigators were able to obtain a warrant to search Gacy's house. Now, speculation has come... um, Actually, I I read um, John Wayne Gacy's uh, biography. I I don't remember who wrote it. I I don't think it was him. Uh, Um... But it it had talked about how he got this kid to come to his car was he was obviously offering him a construction job. You know, he he used the ruse that he could pay him more at at his construction company than he could ever make at the pharmacy. So, you know, being a young kid of, you know, 16, 17 years old, of course you're going to jump on something like that. So that's kind of the way Gacy got these boys' trust. Um... There were other ways that he would gain their trust. Um, 
to get them to his house and to get them down in the basement um, or, or alone in a room, he would use like porno tapes and um, letting them drink alcohol, uh, a beer usually in particular. Um, he, he would he would let them smoke weed uh, with him in his house. Um, he, he would he would get them nudie magazines and and things of that nature and and that's how Gacy would gain a lot of these boys' trust and of course the boys would let their guard down they're partying they're having fun and that's when things would go very bad for these young men so during the execution of the warrant investigators entered a crawl space located beneath the home a rancid odor was quickly noticed the smell was believed to be a faulty sewage line and was quickly dismissed. Without any noticeable incriminating evidence, investigators returned to headquarters to run tests on the evidence they seized. Um, I, you know, that, that to me, for the police department, is definitely a, a mistake, obviously, but probably one that you couldn't fault them for um depending on the smell if you've ever smelled that smell before you may think that they were right in thinking about the the sewage lines you know we most of us have unfortunately had to smell sewage line for what one reason or another um so I mean, you can't really fault the detectives on that one, I suppose. Um, During a review of the items confiscated from Gacy's house, investigators soon realized that they had unknowingly seized a piece of critical evidence. One of the rings found at Gacy's house belonged to another teenager who had disappeared a year earlier. Uh, With this new information... Investigators began to realize the possible enormity of the case that was unfolding before them. Following the discovery of their new information, it was not long before investigators were able to obtain a second search warrant for Gacy's home. Now, according to the book I read, um, the biography on, on John Wayne Gacy, um they would have police officers staked out watching Gacy for, for days after the, the boy from the pharmacy went missing. Um, as soon as they did the investigation and they were looking into Gacy, after they found the, 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 the boy's ring I just mentioned, it was a high school class ring with this kid's uh, name I I believe it was etched on the inside of the ring so they had stakeout teams that would watch Gacy and Gacy thought he was so slick that he would um, basically invite these these officers in for dinner he he had them over for drinks he would play you know cat and mouse games basically with these officers Um, you know Gacy got too big for his britches, and eventually Johnny Law caught up, figured some stuff out, and bing, bang, boom. 
So, on December 22nd, 1978, Gacy, realizing that his dark secrets were about to be exposed, confessed to police, telling them that he had murdered approximately 33 young men over the past seven years. He also drew them a detailed map to the locations of 28 shallow graves under his house and garage. So... On one of the nights in question, when he got a little too big and thought he was slick, he he invited a detective in for dinner. Um, Throughout dinner, and, and, and this is again, according to the biography I read. So, throughout the dinner, this detective started smelling this foul odor, but he, he couldn't figure it out for the life of him. Like he knew he had smelled it before, but he wasn't 100% sure what he was smelling. It wasn't until, I think, a day or so later when, when he finally realized, like, that's the smell of death. That's why I know that smell. It's the smell of death. And that's when they got the, the second search warrant. They went in and they discovered something they never would have dreamed of discovering. So further he admitted to dumping five other in five others into the Des Plaines River. Gacy told detectives there are four Johns. He later explained that there was John the contractor, John the clown, and John the politician. The fourth person went by the name of Jack Hanley. Jack was the killer and did all the evil things. <clears throat> Gacy's murder trial began February 6, 1980 in the Cook County Criminal Courts building in Chicago. During the five-week trial, the prosecution and the defense called more than a hundred witnesses to testify. The defense strategy was to establish that Gacy was insane and out of control at the time of the killings. To bolster this claim, the defense put on the stand psychiatrists who had interviewed Gacy prior to trial. After the closing arguments, the jury deliberated for only two hours before finding Gacy guilty of murdering 33 people. On March 13, 1980, Gacy was sentenced to die. Gacy was transported to Menard Correctional Center in Illinois. He would remain there for just over 14 years until he was transported to the Statesville Penitentiary near Joliet for execution. On May 9th, 1994, Gacy sat down for his last meal. Fried chicken, french fries, coke, and strawberry shortcake. Prison officials later described his demeanor as chatty, talking up a storm, In a phone interview shortly before his execution, he told a Night Tribune reporter, There's been 11 hardback books on me, 31 paperback books, two screenplays, one movie, one off-Broadway play, five songs, and over 5,000 articles. What can I say about it? But of course, he quickly protested, I have no ego for any of this garbage. Just after midnight on May 10th, 1994, Gacy was executed by lethal injection. For his last words, Gacy snarled, kiss my ass. Now, to go further into this guy, 
he um, he did have a very rough childhood. Um, according to everything that I've read, not only was his dad an alcoholic, but he was very, very abusive. Um, as a child, Gacy did str- struggle with the fact that he might be homosexual. Um, back when when Gacy was managing the KFC, he, he actually told his sister um, that he felt like this was the first time ever that his father was ever proud of him. And, and Gacy Sr. actually told him that that was the first time that he was ever proud of him. Um, you know, so, so Gacy had that, that whole thing where, you know, he was constantly trying to get his father's approval and he could never earn it. You know, his, his father assaulted Gacy's mother as well. Um, one of the biggest things that, that Gacy and his siblings can remember was a razor strap. Um, and during a documentary that I watched recently, uh, his sister had stated that it, it didn't matter, you know, how hard their father hit them, how many times th- that their father hit them. You know, he, he, he was very abusive. Um, the, the Gacy siblings basically grew up and realized that they had to toughen up against the beatings. And, and after a while, John Wayne Gacy uh, Jr. stopped crying. Um, Gacy also suffered further alienation at school, unable to play with other children due to a, uh, a heart condition that was looked upon by his father as another failing. He later realized he was attracted to men and experienced great turmoil over sexuality. Um, also on that documentary I watched recently, um, his sister had spoke of, you know, his father wanted John Wayne Gacy Jr. to be more of a man's man. Um, he, he wanted to raise him correctly, uh, according to his father. And John Wayne Gacy was never really into that kind of stuff. You know, he was more into cooking and baking, so he would you know, try to bake with his mom and cook with his mom and, you know, his dad just, just never seen it that way. Um, so the, the JCs is a political organization, um, and it's a, a civic group. He, Again, as I mentioned before, he does have two biological children that he hadn't seen since his first divorce. Um, (laughs) Another thing that I kind of wanted to clear up as far as the whole killer clown aspect. um, To me, when when I hear killer clown, I think of, oh, you know, this person killed as a clown. But there are no confirmed um, witnesses to say that he ever killed while dressed as Pogo the Clown. Um, he the, the, the only time he really dressed up as a clown is, is he would do um, children's birthdays every once in a while and he would go to the, the children's hospital and 
perform there as well. Um, so, so years later, when when he was um, having this conversation with detectives, um, while he was under surveillance, Gacy discussed his work as a clown, remarking, "Clowns can get away with murder." That to me. <laughs> is a red flag statement and I think the detectives at the time and this is just me speculating obviously I'm I'm no expert but I would have to say that the police department would agree and it definitely was a red flag for them um now there's a lot of there's a a huge debate obviously um when it does come to serial killers and it's the age-old debate of nature versus nurture. Um, I should preference, preference this by saying I'm, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a licensed psychologist, these are just a couple theories that I have, or not really a couple, but some theories that I have anyways. Um, I think when it comes to serial killers, it, it, it can go either way. Um, you know, in, in Gacy's case, obviously he grew up in a very fractured, um, abusive home where his father was obviously an alcoholic and was very physical, physically and mentally abusive to his children. That being said, uh, I believe there was three uh, Gacy siblings one of which turned into a serial killer. So I think that's where the nature aspect comes in, where there has been studies uh, done and there are people out there now that think that they can kind of almost pinpoint what is going on in, in these people's heads, whether it's, it, it's a chemical imbalance, it, it's a certain chemical that they're not getting, or there's a part of the brain that just doesn't work like, you know, your, your brain or my brain would work. Um, but then you look at like serial killers such as Ted Bundy, um, who I will get to in a later episode as well. But, um, you will come to learn that, that he grew up in a normal household. What, what, well, what most of us would think is a normal household. Um, H.H. H. Holmes, who we covered in the last episode, came from a wealthy uh, family and still became what he became. So I think it, it, it has a lot to do with both, I believe. It, and, and the argument can almost stop. You know, it has a lot to do with nature and nurture. It's not nature or nurture. Um... So yeah, as as said before, you know, Gacy did confess to 33. He later tried to retract this statement. He he also went as far as recording like a uh, like a minute long um, phone message from his prison cell that when you called it, he would you know proclaim his his, his innocence, saying he he had nothing to do with it, which. common sense states you find however many dead bodies in in somebody's crawl space you're gonna start talking to them first 
um, he also ended up, while in prison, he ended up, um, doing some paintings of himself painted up as a clown, and these paintings went for some absurd amounts of money, and if you've ever seen one of these paintings, you would understand why I said absurd. I don't know if I would have paid $5 for these paintings, but because Gacy ended up with so much notoriety and he was so, so famous, which is a terrible word to say for a serial killer, but I don't have, infamous, I guess you would say, <coughs> but he was so infamous that these crappy paintings went for so much money. Um, basically, anything that Gacy touched sold for a high price um but like I said he, he did end up dying from lethal injection on May 10th 1994 at the Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill Illinois <coughs> excuse me trying to trying to look up and see um how much a couple of these paintings went for. Um, it looks like one or two of them, uh, two of them went or sold in the UK for uh, whatever their money is, but 4,000 of whatever their money is. Mark, pound, is it a pound? It might be a pound. And then the other one went for 325 pounds. I think it's pounds, respectively. But he had eight other works that went unsold. <clears throat> um, as I mentioned before, there was a movie. Um, it looks like it was a television movie done on um, John Wayne Gacy uh, back in 1992. Uh, the title is To Catch a Killer. <coughs> Um, it explored the efforts to find out what happened to the missing teenage boys who were later discovered to be among Gacy's victims. The movie starring Brian Dennehy, Michael Riley, and Margaret Kidder was nominated for an Emmy uh, for Dennehy's performance. According to Dennehy, Gacy wrote... A letter to him from prison protesting his portrayal in the film and proclaiming his innocence. Uh, Gacy's house was located at 8213 West Somerdale Avenue in Norwood Park, just east of Chicago's O'Hara International Airport. On several occasions, visitors and family members reported that the house and had an unusual stench which Gacy attributed to mold or rodents <coughs> a simple one story ranch house in a middle class neighborhood Gacy had outfitted his home with a trap door leading to a crawl space beneath the house where he would dispose of many of his victims bodies others were buried in the backyard or dumped in the nearby Des Plaines River in 1978, with Gacy under arrest, the house was demolished, or dismantled, sorry, in an effort to find more evidence. The following year, the house and all, all structures on the property were demolished. 
and a new house was eventually built on the property. According to one worker involved in the demolition of Gacy's house, if the devil's alive, he lived here. And that's where part one, we will leave you. Thanks for listening. And we love you. Hello again. Welcome to Host Stories. This is the interview portion of episode two. I'm actually here with James G. Uh, his podcast, if you want to go ahead and take a listen, you can find that on the same podca- podcast listening platforms as this one. It is called Re- Read Between the Lies. Reading. Reading Read Between, between the, the Lies. lies. Get it My bad. Reading Between the Lies. Um, and I'm actually going to ask him a few questions. Uh, to kind of get his thoughts and his feels on the whole John Wayne Gacy stuff. Um, so, how old were you when you first heard about all the John Wayne Gacy stuff? Honestly, I was probably about ten years old. And that's the and that's where you heard. Actually, yeah, I was ten years old because I was born in '68. He was arrested in '78, '79, something like that. Yep. So I was about ten, eleven years old. So you kind of got a handle on. Most um, of what's going on, I or it well, as if it was just yesterday. What was the? I was <laughs> what was the atmosphere like uh, back then? It almost seemed like everybody knew somebody who knew somebody that was a victim of his. That's, that seems <laughs> it's to like be... you couldn't almost talk to anybody in Chicago. Oh yeah, my cousin's friend was a victim of theirs, or my cousin's friend's friend was a victim. <laughs> Uh, we're also here with Kimmy G, hey. one of the co-hosts of host. Budroom. Oh no, honey, that's I'm the host. Sorry, again, she is the host of Budroom. You can also catch it on the same platforms as this one. The Budroom. <laughs> she also is from Chicago. Um, Born and raised. And actually, she will not name any names, but she does have a close proximity to some of this stuff, so I'm going to go ahead and let her take over a little bit, and she can tell you a small story. Oh, the one about when we would cruise over there? <laughs> yeah, this was after he was caught and all this stuff, and uh, yeah, we all got in the car because we wanted to go see, you know, where the John Wayne Gacy lived. It was so damn creepy, and you know that I mean right actually right from the beginning now that I'm thinking which I might be forgetting so <laughs> uh, but anyway fresh podcast. <laughs> right she is fresh off the budroom correct <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know how to say it. a very close at one time friend of mine's father uh, owned uh, uh, auto automotive shop, you know, and uh, his partner's um, son and his uh, best friend worked for Gacy, painting and you know just little construct. That's how he 
you know, got mm-hmm. all the guys, you yep. know. But the whole thought, and it's really weird because it, he, it was, oh, uh, I'm sorry. And also, uh, another very close friend of mine's mom, um, her actual best friend, son, was found in the basement in his in Casey's home. What skeleton was he? And it, that's not even funny. Oh God. But um Yeah. Oh gosh, soon he's gonna be one, let me tell you that. <laughs> um but yeah, the whole Gacy thing, it was you know, because you we were young, we're teenagers, you know. And you know, we went Oh my god. Uh, I'm talking later, yeah. you know. Right. One, you know, because then we tell, you know, do the little Ouija board thing and stuff like that with all sorts of names. And then it was mm-hmm. like, oh, Gacy, you know. So I was, you know, older by that time. And that's when I said we cruised past there. Of course, it had to be at night. And it, it was probably around Halloween, you know, and there was the piles, you know, of the dirt. I remember, oh no, that was pictures I seen. Um, because I would have been too young to be cruising around. So, when it first happened. Right. But there was photos. Of course. Know, lots of them. Of course. Were of the piles. So, so, when you guys were cruising around, it wasn't actually the Gacy house per se. No, it was but it the was newer still structure. Empty, no, oh, it was, it was still empty. So it was still a vacant lot at that time. Yeah. So so how old were were you when you first really remember hearing about all the Gacy stuff? Well, I oh, probably I was probably about uh here comes the other host. 14, 15, 14 I think when it happened. Mhm. Yeah. You know, ooh, let's get creeped out. You know, mm-hmm. that was that. Uh, that was probably 16, 17, 17, 18. Yeah, because yeah. then we were, you know, that's when we were walking in the woods at night, trying to, you know, we always tried scaring each other. Right. Um. Yeah, that's Gacy was definitely he was the creepy one, man, because it was so close to home. Right. You know. Now, now I, I've heard that you grew up kind of near. Not, yeah, not, not like, he was in Des Plaines, which is, you know, I don't know how to compare it to here, but, uh, it's, it wasn't that far and from where, cause I was on the north side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So that's close to like, About you know. About 15 miles. About 15 miles. Yeah, something like that. So, so close enough to be scary oh yeah that it was see that's what it was it was like oh my god the, you know when you're well i don't know i i was a twisted teen. Nine, you'd have to drive for hours <laughs> but, to there. but Chicago <laughs> right right <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it was amazing creepy scary and then once you knew that someone actually you know that i knew loved, cared about, right. had someone so close to being almost killed, you know, could have been, potentially, I right. should say, right. uh, 
you know, the the son, you know, mm-hmm. you know, he him and his best friend, they could have been killed. Right. They were at his house getting picking up their cash. Mm. You know. But uh it's just, it's just oof. Those, I mean, those were now as a grown adult. I think about it, and it's like, wow, what, what was I chasing? <laughs> because almost all my friends, we were all like that. It was like the thrill, you know. Yeah, and that's that's a part of the the lure of of serial killers is the yep the the fascination that America has. Mm-hmm. With these serial killers, yep, um, and it's and how these guys and girls become infamous, is, you know, news coverage, and of course, you know, people that live in close proximity. Of course, you want to be a part of the story. You want to be, you know, right. you want to be in the action. So, James, what what stands out most in your mind, uh, either either hearing about the case or the ending of the case? Because because I know you had said before we started that you remember his. Execution very well. Oh, yeah, they oh, celebrated yeah. in downtown Chicago. That was a big parade and party. I remember one woman was holding a sign that said, It's about damn time they put the clown in the ground. <laughs> yeah, that was a big. That sign always stuck in my head. I was like, That's a unique saying. <laughs> and that brings up um, a lot of different things oh, that actually we were just talking about. Um, I also worked at the cemetery where his parents were buried. What kind of weird things did you find afterwards? Was there any any markings done to well, the headstones he or anything? Was, no, actually, no. Not messed with mm, at all. Nobody ever messed with anything in there. Surprisingly, no. Wow, that is actually kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. <coughs> John Ritter was buried there too. Not the actor. Somebody else <laughs> named John Ritter. <laughs> what? Okay. Right. <laughs> and I thought I was the one that was, you know, on the ganja. Holy cow. This guy over here. So is there anything, Kimmy G, that, that really stands out in your mind? I mean, besides the obvious of right. uh, of having the, the close proximity to everything. Yeah. Is there anything that really stands out in your mind from the case? or? I think it was because... It was like almost as if time stood still, because it was like our backyard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The the reference, but I, I mean, it's like when it happened. It was like I I my best friends were boys when I was I was a tomboy. Right. So I thought, you know, my God, this could have been them. You know, and back then we didn't. You know, like our parents were would not say like how now everything's right there in your face right back then no you know there was that respect level and stuff and it oh man thinking about it it's just just really creepy because you know being a kid and having like i said all those guy friends and just that they could have potentially been a victim and the ones that were in there, you know, I mean, under the, it, I mean, it just think that his whole family would come over sometimes, you know, right. and they're right there in the basement, right. and then if you've seen the photos, you know, from maybe your research or whatever, uh, there was some pretty, 
scary, scary photos. Yeah. And, and I think the more time went on, you know, like now, say, right. there's more graphic photos oh, yeah. of all sorts of the serial killers and their victims and, you know, some of it, I know, and like you were saying about people, Americans especially, are mm-hmm. so... Like, oh my gosh, you know, how, how did, what, what were they thinking? What did they have for breakfast that day? <laughs> right. You know? Right. That, to me, that was a rush as a kid, thinking about the serial killer. Actually, if you don't mind me saying. Nope, go ahead. Uh, I was about 10, 11 years old, and oh, a whole bunch of my family lived on the same block. And, I mean, I'm talking great-grandma, grandma, aunt, great-great-aunt, you know. I mean, they were up and down the blocks, cousins, you know. But anyway, uh, if you, you know, going across the street to play, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like here where it's country and cornfields, you right. know. Right, It's, uh, you know, like across the street would be literally like, like from here to there, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know what I mean. Right. It right. was just so everybody was the, everybody was out, family, family. Well, they had there was this alley we used to play in, mm-hmm. uh, which was just a couple houses we were from, and we we used to play ball and you know in this part of the alley, that part of the alley, you know there was a couple buildings, apartment mm-hmm. buildings, and. Well, we used to go there, and there was this scary man that me and, I think, two of my, you know, little guy friends and uh, one of my girlfriends, uh, we were walking down there, and by the creepy guy's house, well, this went, like, we kept doing it because we... Even at that age, 10, 11 years old, you know, you, I wanted that thrill, that scare. Right. And, you know, there were stories, you know, that, you know, he takes little kids. I didn't know what that kind of stuff meant. All I knew it was a scary looking guy, you know. Right. And he had uh, long, dark, wavy hair, hippie looking, you know. And... But he had that face that where the eyes are so dark black, you know, very frightening. But, um, and that's when back in, if you ever heard the, I don't know if it was only a Chicago thing or if they moved everywhere, the Stranger Danger. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a big and, thing in the 80s. Well, he reminded us that that was Stranger Danger, you know? Mm-hmm. So we stayed away from him, but you know, we all, if we could catch a peek, we couldn't wait to run home mm-hmm. and tell our friends, right. you know, we seen him, you know. <laughs> well, after, you know, we had my parents bought a house and we moved from there. And uh, later, uh, not long after, I would say a couple years, uh, yeah, a couple years after we had moved, 10, 11, 12, yeah, it was about 12, 13, and uh, sure shit enough that this guy was a baby killer, his name was David Cram, I don't know if you could still look him up now. I'm sure. Um, it was so... So go ahead and do that, y'all. 
yeah, because I don't know. It was uh, by um, uh, Belmont in California. He, you know, it, it was just to to find that out. You know, uh, what they said is they he had hung a hung a baby on the threshold of the um, or the arch. You know, the arch. Of, it, that's how you know some of the houses in Chicago had the arches. You know separating their right. front term from the, yeah. But anyway, uh, he would, he hammered the baby upside down and literally beat the baby. And he was all effed up on stuff. I don't know, you know, what kind of stuff, but he was drugs mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But then found out that he had killed other people, other things. And his, I just think that me and my friends were like, if there was a real stranger danger, right? That's what he's looking like, right? You know. And here, look at that. He was a for anything over one, technically, is a serial killer, right? Uh, it's three. Oh, is it three? Okay. Three or more with with time separating each kill, like a, a yeah. cool down time, basically. Okay. <laughs> Good to remember, just in case. <laughs> so, uh, a question that that I've always had, and actually, this is my first interview with somebody who's lived in such close proximity to something like this. What kind of, or if any, what kind of urban legends came from this, from, from your guys' childhood? Not all stranger danger, like you were saying. Don't talk to strangers. Yeah, and let's see. It was the end of innocence. You think so? Walk. You used to be able to walk. Oh, definitely. Blocks. Nobody cared, you know, after that. You better stay close to the house type garbage, you know. Yeah. yeah. I... There, there were so many. I mean, gosh, everything was creepy. Uh, you know, because our minds, even though it was the innocent time, seemingly. Right. You know. It was just, you know, stuff you did. You right. know, the clubhouses, playing kick the can, playing tag, you know. But um, the creepy and scary stuff, you know. Man. Your normal campfire type story. Yeah. Almost if you were at a campfire. Because <clears throat> um, I know that so uh, a lot of true to life <laughs> um, serial killers have spawned different urban legends um, dating back as far as the Phantom Killer of Texarkana which I I will cover later on down the road as well Um, he was a big start to the man with the hook for a hand Um, that urban legend you you see a lot in films, Candyman being the biggest one that kind of stands out in my mind and Cabrini Green, correct, in Chicago. Um, and, and just kind of urban legends like that. Nothing spawned similar to that from Gacy or just your normal stranger danger, which ended up being very dangerous because, as we all know now, most of the time when children are being kidnapped, it's typically somebody they know. So stranger yeah, danger, they say, was, was terrible that, you know, but when you're scared, you... you you can't help what you do. So, was there anything that came like that, 
I mean, obviously it wasn't the guy with the hook with the hand, but I mean, did you have a standout urban legend that derived from Gacy? Do you remember, or was there not any? Mine would have been, like I said, that, you know, we would scare the shit out of each other, you know. With, with the Ouija with board the, and yeah, stuff? You know, and... With Gacy, with, you know, we'd do seances after he was dead, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and also I know you were mentioning you might do Dahmer. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he as well. That's what, you know. Right, right. Oh, you know, it's like any time you had a boyfriend or way, you know, I think you're like, God, that could be you, because you know he lived in Wisconsin but came to Chicago, right. which is so right. close. But anyways, that's for another time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I I will actually be be interviewing probably both of these two again after the Dahmer episode, so that's kind of what she's alluding to. Um, that they're hopefully going to have some more stories yeah. for us again. Um, also, uh, James G here, uh, I think episode four, we're going to be looking, starting our, our ghost story series and, and serial killer and ghost story kind of combined. Yep. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to cover a, a few different things in this podcast here. Um, I used to live in his house and it was a gang of me- serial killers. Mental note taken. <laughs> <coughs> Um, he actually just slid me some information on a different serial killer that we'll probably end up oh, covering. Well, several. And, oh, sorry, several. There's a group of them. We'll we'll talk about. And actually, probably when I do that episode, I will just bring him along for that ride. Um, so, kind of in conclusion, what what can we learn from serial killers? Well, how not to get caught? Not, not really serial killers, but but what kind of information coming from this, growing up around it, do you guys have to to maybe bring it out more? Um, I know a, a, a lot of people that may listen to this will think, "God, he just covers a serial killer." Um, why, why don't you do more about the victims? Um, is there something that you can tell us? <clears throat> Just kind of from your own experiences. Well, do you know how Casey got caught? Uh, the detective going in his house for for dinner and smelled something that he figured out was... escaped and tied him up and called the police. Was that the wrestler? Yeah. The, the kid was the wrestler? <laughs> yeah, okay. He tried to tap a wrestler. as <clears throat> a high school wrestler. So, uh, speaking of that, there was something I actually forgot to cover in the actual episode itself. Um, His M.O. that he used was something he called the handcuff trick and the rope trick. Now, the, the, the handcuff trick, he would put the handcuffs on himself behind his back, he would get free, and then he would put them on the young man, and the young man was stuck. Um, and then he would he would come in with the rope trick he he would wrap the rope around their neck and the young man was pretty much done for <clears throat> I apologize for not covering that it just actually slipped my mind but uh, James G actually just reminded me of it so uh, any ending thoughts I'm glad you're gone the world was a little better of a place mm. Oh, and didn't it, when he was getting the juice, didn't it, uh, he get a little torture? 
Uh, I believe Kimmy G is correct. I, I think it took yeah. a little bit longer for right. him to actually die. Yeah. 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 They, they actually, he was gasping, wasn't he? Yeah, or but I think like they that? did it intentionally. <laughs> oh, I'm almost positive. <laughs> yeah. They everybody wanted. They, him they wanted him suffering. They didn't want a quick, painless death. So, as always, this is Josh S. with Host Stories. And remember, his final words were, kiss my ass.